Hey everyone, this is Jason and I've got something special for you this week. It's a podcast swap. I always say that running a successful podcast is 40% creation and 60% distribution. And if there's someone who knows anything about effectively distributing content, it's Justin Simon. He's the host of the Distribution First podcast and founder of a consulting firm that specializes in helping B2B brands build content strategies with distribution at their core. Justin is someone I deeply, deeply respect. So when I listened to his recent episode on ranking the three major content distribution buckets, I just had to find a way to share it with you all. And it just didn't feel like posting it on LinkedIn would do it enough justice. This episode addresses all the main challenges that brands face in making their work visible amongst all the commodity content that's flooding our feeds. In this episode, Justin teaches you why most companies' content distribution strategies leave their work hidden from their audience, why relying on SEO can be limiting and the potential pitfalls that you'll run into when over-relying on SEO, and the challenges of using rented channels like LinkedIn, X or Twitter or threads to reach your audience and why they should be part of your distribution arsenal anyway. If you like this episode, I highly recommend checking out Distribution First, Justin's podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, he's on them all. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and yeah, here we go. Here's Justin. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. So according to one survey that I read, only 39% of B2B companies have a documented content strategy for their marketing plan. And I bet if you asked those same content marketers or marketers if they had a documented distribution plan, I bet that number just plummets. I actually think it's probably close to 0.01% of content marketers or marketing teams who have a documented distribution plan for their content. Meaning, when we create a piece of content, we know exactly what's going to happen after this piece is created. We know exactly where we're going to put it. We know what we're going to create off of it. And we know exactly for how long we're going to be able to drip that out until we have to reassess and relook at that. And so, I think it's a huge mistake for companies not to actually have a plan to be able to write that down. That's the whole reason we're doing distribution first. That's the whole reason why I'm creating this podcast and creating the content that I'm doing. That's why I'm building the newsletter to help you all be able to have that plan. So when you publish a piece of content, you can feel confident knowing that this isn't just going to hit publish and move on. You can feel confident being able to explain to your boss or your boss's boss, hey, this is the type of impact that we're seeing when we distribute our content and when we repurpose that content across different pieces. So rather than just hitting publish on our podcast and getting 50 listens every week, nope, we're hitting publish, but we're also repurposing that on YouTube. We're also repurposing that onto LinkedIn. We're also writing a tweet thread about that. And therefore, we are 10x, 100x the rate of return, the impact, the ROI of that content that we're having. 
I think one of the major problems with that, though, in the hangups for creating a written distribution strategy is even knowing what buckets you are using. So for example, we'll get into this more, but let's take SEO. So when I was starting as a content marketing manager, SEO was really the only distribution platform or distribution plan that I had going into it. It was everything. And so this was 2013 to 2018, 2019. Everything I did was based around SEO, trying to rank, trying to use SEO, trying to build up a content strategy for that. And that did work. But I think it's not without its limitations. And I think the more that we dive into these three different buckets coming up that you'll see each one has benefits, each one has challenges, and it's trying to find the right balance for you and your company to be able to mix and match and own those for those different reasons. So let's get into these. Uh, I really want to break down a few of the major buckets that I see companies using to distribute their content and allow you to figure out how those can work for you and your company. So bucket number one is 100% SEO. This was the bucket that I was in. I think SEO is extremely helpful. I think it is a great part of a content strategy. Both Google and YouTube have massive, massive market share. They have tons of volume of people coming in and searching for things. I think if you're not focused at least a little bit on SEO, you are going to be hurting yourself. But I think the 100% SEO bucket, that's maybe the generalized area that I'll go in and saying, what's our content strategy? What's our distribution strategy? It's SEO. I've said this before in different areas, but my content strategy at one point was hope with a dash of SEO. That was my strategy. It was, well, we're going to write this and we're going to hope people see it. And then on the back end, I would start tracking and figuring out, okay, well, how are people seeing this in SEO? No strategy for social, no strategy for email, no strategy for how people were going to be aware of this if they weren't actively searching for it. And so I think that has a lot to do with what you're doing when you're putting everything into the basket of SEO. And I love the long-term gains that can come from SEO. One of the benefits of whether it's YouTube, Google, et cetera, is that that content lasts. So if you can start ranking for something and it can come up five years from now for that same thing, amazing. Now, obviously, I think you want to be able to update that content and keep those things fresh, but that's content that you put the investment in now and that your company can still reap those benefits years later. A great example of this. So when I was at TechSmith, I wrote a pillar piece of blog content around how to make a YouTube video. I wrote that, I think, in 2018, maybe 2019. I can't remember when I wrote it. And within a few months, that thing started to rank in Google for how to make a YouTube video. And it started ranking above YouTube for those things. Fast forward to 2023, that post is still ranking for how to make a YouTube video. If you search in how to make a YouTube video, you'll see TechSmith. You'll see the blog post that I wrote four, five, six years ago that's still ranking for that thing. That's the power of SEO. Same thing on YouTube. If you can rank for a particular term and have that video rank and be successful, that can have a huge impact because you're working on it once. And you're, again, let's take a side. Yes, you have to update it and keep everything up to date and all those things. But you're putting in all the hard effort, all of the hard things once and letting that compound and grow exponentially over time. I love SEO for that reason. 
But like I said, every bucket has its pros and its cons. I think a few of the cons that come with a 100% SEO bucket, it's like investing in the stock market. Early on, those gains are not going to be seen. You're going to feel like we're wasting our time. We're wasting our money. Why are we doing this? But if you look at it with a long-term approach of over a long period of time, as we look over not just six months, but what that could look like in six years. And again, I know that's difficult, but really trying to put the investing mindset in here. If you can look at it over a longer term period and, and see your content as the investment, that can prove a lot for your company. The other problem with SEO, 100% SEO, is you're at the mercy of Google and YouTube. And this will follow through with other buckets as well. But you're at the mercy of Google and you're at the mercy of YouTube to actually hit those algorithms and get in front of your audience. So yes, write 100%, create video 100% for your audience and, and for people. But you can have a really good piece of content, rank fifth and be pummeled in Google because there's a slew of ads and one, two, three, four, five, and it takes me 18 scrolls to get to the fifth option anymore. So I think Google does and YouTube does come with its own limitations in terms of the platform and, and what you're able to get out of it. And then the final just hiccup with a 100% SEO focus is your content is limited by what people are actively searching for. And so what I mean by that is your thought leadership about something that people aren't necessarily aware of or thinking about will never show up in Google or YouTube because nobody is thinking to type those things in. Now, I think a platform like YouTube with shorts, et cetera, they are expanding, becoming more of a discovery platform. But from that 100%, if you're focused on 100% SEO, if you're putting all your content marketing eggs into this basket, into this bucket of 100% SEO, you are going to be limited. Or if you do end up posting thought leadership content, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to spend a lot of time and effort and it could be a really strong, really good piece of content. But you're going to look at analytics and or you're going to look at search console and you say, man, nobody is looking at this. This content must not be resonating. This content must be good, not be good. It's not that the content isn't good or resonating. It's that the distribution plan is wrong. All right. Bucket number two is renting channels. This is rented space. These are the Twitters, the LinkedIn's, the social platforms, the forums of the world. These are the platforms where you can build an engaged audience where people are actively already hanging out. The pro with a rented channel is that you don't have to wait for somebody to go out and find or think about your content. You can get that to them immediately. So if you're building a platform, if you're building an audience on any one of these platforms, you can speak into that audience and you can instantly get that content seen. You don't have to worry about creating mindshare and understanding and then having them type that in or search it or find it or whatever. You can instantly get that content in front of your audience. The downside of that is with all of these rented platforms, that content is not long lasting. So unlike YouTube, unlike Google, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. These rented channels are kind of a match. <laughs> they're a flash. You can light them quick, you can get a little bit of fire, but they're going to go out really quickly. I think Twitter, the average lifespan of a tweet might be 10 minutes. On LinkedIn, you're looking at a couple days typically for any sort of post. Now, take that in comparison with the SEO route where again, 
slower burn, harder to get going. But once that fire is set and once it's really in place, that thing can burn for a long time. And so I think that's the difference between that 100% SEO bucket and this rented channels bucket. The other con is that these algorithms change all the time, which can just leave you stuck. So for instance, you can build up a massive following on any one of these channels. They can change one little thing and that reach that you once thought you had for that audience goes down to nothing. I think anybody who's been kind of playing around with LinkedIn, especially if you were doing it the last couple of years, more and more that platform is starting to mature and is starting to change. Twitter, for a myriad of reasons, is changing. And so as these things evolve, as these rented channels evolve, you have to keep pace with what's happening with them. You have to try and evolve with them and figure out how you're going to work within their kind of rules to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, you're still stuck based on what they're going to do. You can have awesome content. You can have a great audience. And at the end of the day, you still have to try to figure out how to work those algorithms or how best to play within the system to get your message out there. And that is a constant, constant learning experience. And in a lot of ways, it's the opposite of the SEO approach. So with SEO, you can create that content and let that live long term. With rented channels, you really have to constantly feed that beast in order to gain traction. It's something where you have to be consistent. You have to have a plan to get that content in front of your audience on these platforms every single day or at least consistently throughout the week to even be thought of. And the funny thing about rented channels is that even for the biggest personalities, the biggest personal brands, the biggest companies, there's so much information coming at you on these channels. Think about your Twitter feed. Think about your LinkedIn feed. All of the content that's being shown. If a major person that you follow and you like, maybe the algorithm tweaks and you don't see their content anymore. I've experienced this. There's lots of people that I enjoy their content that I just realized I never see their content anymore, not because I don't enjoy it, but because the algorithm is no longer showing it to me. But on the flip side of that, if those people stopped posting, if those big personal brands stopped posting for any given amount of time, the world would move on. <laughs> The way these channels are set up, there's so many people on these channels. You don't own this channel. You're renting it. You're renting it amongst a million other people. And because of that, it's really hard to get traction and gain on that because you are competing with so many other inputs in that feed. So if you stop posting for a couple of weeks, people are just going to move on. It's not that they don't like you. It's not that they don't enjoy your content. They might be happy if you start posting again later, but they're going to move on. There are just more people to input. There's more content to be shown on their feed. It's not like somebody's going to show up and their feed's going to be empty. If you're following people, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera, they're going to fill that feed with something. And so that's the dichotomy of that rented channel. That's the tough part to figure out is it's a slog to feed the beast. And if you don't feed the beast, you're either going to be forgotten or you are going to be missing out on really kind of building that audience and really trying to connect with your audience on a daily basis. The third bucket is owning the platform. This is what you ultimately want to do for anybody who's kind of been in the sphere, in the space of owning an audience or building, quote unquote, building a media company, any of those type of things. It's all about owning that own platform. I think traditionally how people would think about this is probably through email, maybe through your website, people coming to your blog. 
I think how this is evolving today are things like media. So whether that's podcasts, whether that's video series, community. So building communities, building a hub where people actively go to engage with other people. I think that's the core thing about owning your platform is building a place, whether it's your website, whether it's a community, whether whatever that is, building a place where people are actively searching you out for that thing to be able to consume, to be able to interact, to be able to hang out versus passively through that rented channel consuming that content. And this is a very, very difficult one to crack. It's one that I know a lot of people are trying to work on and and trying to build that up. But I think at the end of the day, when you're building your owned platform, you want to be able to create an ecosystem where your audience is so bought in to what you're doing and they love the content so much that you are creating that they're willing to subscribe, they're willing to join, they're willing to pay, they're willing to hang out, they're willing to spend parts of their lives with you and with that time, that's at the end of the day what we're talking about. I think when you're building that media company, quote unquote, when you're doing those type of things and you're trying to think like a Netflix or a Disney Plus, or what is their goal? Their goal is to get you into their app. Their goal is to get you onto their platform, into their site to consume their content and take your time and spend your time with them. I think that's the same mindset that businesses, whether you're a B2B business, whether you're a solopreneur, think about how you can create an ecosystem where people want to join in with you. This obviously takes way longer to build up. Nobody starts with this full-fledged community. Nobody starts with a giant subscriber base. But if you go into it with that mentality when you're small and as you're building that out, Unlike rented channels, you have the freedom to be able to experiment. You have the freedom to be able to create. You can publish whatever you want inside that community. You can publish whatever you want inside your newsletter. It's yours. You own it. You don't have to worry about trying to game any system or tap into an algorithm or show up in search. You have it. You have something you want to talk about. You can talk about it, interact with your audience about it, and figure out how to go from there. So those are the three main buckets that I see content strategies starting to fit into. So as you start to go through your week, think about how your content fits into any one of these strategies. Do you lean too heavily on one or the other? Do you lean on this 100% traditional SEO content marketing strategy where everything we're creating has to be ranking for something or the stuff that we aren't creating for and isn't ranking, we have no other plan to get that on? Are you able to subsidize some of that SEO with a rented channel? Are you consistently creating content on channels like LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, where people are actively hanging out, where you can build an audience and you can interact with those people every single day? And third, are you starting to build up that own platform, whether that's an email newsletter, whether it's a full-on community? What are those pieces that you can add in to really have this three-pronged approach toward distribution to have ideally some SEO, ideally using rented channels, and ideally building your own platform, not only for now, but for the future. And that way you're spreading across your content distribution across multiple channels, across multiple avenues, and you're not going too heavy in one way or the other. And ideally, all of those pieces are working together in the end to try to raise your content, get that in front of your audience, and be able to continue to have you be seen as a leader in your industry or in your space. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. It was a fun one to go through those three buckets. 
If you have questions, feel free to reach out. If you have a topic you want me to hit or a guest you want me to bring on, I would love to have suggestions. So hit me up at hello at justinsimon.co. And if you're still listening at this point, please, whatever platform you're on, I would love a review. If you could go onto Spotify, if you go onto Apple, Google, wherever you're listening, drop a review. It takes like 30 seconds. It would help my show continue to grow. And even if you can't do that, can you do me another favor, which is just tell one friend about the show. So regardless of who that might be or where you're at, you don't have to even go to Apple. You don't have to go to Spotify. But if you could just tell a friend, hey, have you listened to Distribution First? Give them one episode you enjoyed listening to that they'll find value out of it. That would be extremely helpful as well. So thank you all. And we will talk to you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. Thank you so much for giving me your time this week. If you are a repeat listener, thanks for coming back. If you did take any value out of this interview, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review in your podcast platform of choice. It really makes a huge difference for an emerging creator like myself. Ugh, that sounded so bad, emerging creator. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it because we're here. If you want to learn more about the services at B2B Better, you can visit my website, www.b2b-better better.com. A huge thanks to my guest this week. See you all next week.